0: This is the Doctor Who
1: Podcast. You are most welcome.
0: In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we'll be delving into the worlds of Twitter and Facebook and seeing how fans communicate online.
2: Hello everyone out there in Doctor Who Podcast Lane. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who Podcast. Great to have you on board. This episode is very interesting. We want to have a little bit of, I suppose, a little bit of a geek out about the internet, about Facebook, about social media, about Twitter. Now, it's pretty much a given that all you guys out there listening to this particular episode are on the internet because you've downloaded us, you're listening to us. What we'd like to talk about this week is Facebook, Twitter, social media, all those type of things. Just what effect has this, I suppose phenomenon of the noughties um, brought to Doctor Who and Doctor Who fandom in general. And here with me in the camp event to talk about this exciting development in Doctor Who interactions is James, Tom and Leeson. Hello, guys. Hello,
3: hello, everybody. Hello.
2: Yeah, uh, it's something that James actually mentioned the other day. Um, It's interesting how now how so many fans are interacting with each other via Twitter, via Facebook, via email, via this wonderful cloud system we call the internet now, and we really wanted to have a bit of a chat about it here at the DWP and um, I suppose get to the bottom of whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing, the pitfalls, the benefits, the, the downsides, the upsides of Doctor Who fandom making that transition to the wonderful world of the internet.
3: I think a good way to start would actually be to describe how we use sites like Twitter, ourselves. And um, I'm I'm happy to kick off because it's not going to take very long. Um, I don't don't use it a huge amount. Um, I I don't think it really enhances my experience of fandom hugely. Uh, It's a case of picking out the occasional interesting tweet from an official source and thinking great okay I've got my piece of news before everybody else but sometimes you have to read I don't know a thousand tweets that don't really have a, a major impact before you get that one that you think oh I'm really glad I'm signed up to this so mm. for me I, I understand that it, it's amazingly popular with, uh, with sci-fi fans and I think with Doctor Who fans in particular and there are a huge number of Doctor Who luminaries now who you can allegedly interact with uh, on Twitter but for me it, 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 it's a bit of a diversion as opposed to an enhancement.
0: It, it's funny, though. I've recently got a new phone, uh, and I haven't set up any of my Twitter clients yet, uh, so I haven't been on for a while. And uh, listening to you guys uh, in the pre-show discussion and just hearing bits of news around and about, I've realised how much out of the loop I am because of it. And it's only been a couple of weeks. But there's, there's various bits of news which have been, uh, are now allowed to, to leak out in, as we've said before, what feels like these unofficial channels. Uh, and, and having sort of sealed myself off from it for a few weeks, uh, I, you, know, you, you realise what an important tool it is. I, I think
2: for me, you know, sort of picking up what Leeson just said, everyone on the internet is out of the loop. It really depends on who else you are following or who else you are looking at on Facebook or Twitter. Because it really seems today about more who you know on Twitter and Facebook rather than what you can find out yourself. Because certainly for me, when I got onto the internet, you know, in the 90s and the noughties, that you could go to websites and look at stuff and find information. And sure, there's that sort of element still there. But these days, I'm finding a lot more of my information, I suppose, almost even by accident, on Twitter and Facebook. Because you've, you've got the tools like Flipboard and the Facebook app and Hootsuite, for example, for Twitter, where you can look and see what your um, you know the people you're following or the people you're friends with on Facebook are doing. So really, it, it's not so much research and finding out, OK, what's happening in the Doctor Who world. But it's more about, I don't know, browsing through an online diary of what your friends are doing that day and kind of hoping they're going to post something interesting that you can then send on to all your followers and then <laughs> spread the word about something interesting that way.
0: And you want to be the first to do it, don't you? Or, or one of the first. That's, that's the game with Twitter, is, is to get in there first and, and be seen to be breaking the news
3: well I, I think that's in, I think that 's interesting and uh, and certainly i 'm interested in hearing tom 's view on this as well i I, I think that there are some i 'm not quite sure what to call them probably people like us okay <laughs> there 's groups of fans who have prob deliberately developed a brand unofficially and uh, this this is their hobby this is not a business it 's a hobby and I think what Leeson says then has it, happened a lot, and you get a lot of fan sites. Presenting themselves as if they're breaking news when actually they're not. And uh, There are only official sources uh, who are allowed to do that. And I'm interested, certainly from from Tom's perspective, given that he's very close to technology and so <laughs> on. Um, you know, do you think that's misusing Twitter? Do you think that's you know fans being slightly irresponsible? I mean,
4: no, I think I, I honestly think it's a. Uh, a very valid and organic development of the way that f- of the way that fans interact. You know, we have this communication technology, and I've got to say, uh, thank you to my friend uh, Mark Duffett who's done a lot of work in fandom and talks to me about fandoms in a more general sense and I always bring it back to Doctor Who and use Doctor Who to illustrate some of the concepts that he, uh, that, he uh, that, that he tells me about um, but my view of this is that when we, think, when we think back to the classic days of being Doctor Who fans, it was essentially quite a solitary thing to be. There might be one or two other people that you knew but then you could graduate to going to say a Doctor Who Appreciation Society local group so it became a bit like a club but it was really quite a solitary thing. One of the things that, and, and that takes into Account, of course, the idea that communities form in time and space around the resources necessary to sustain them. And you've got this idea that people who have access to old episodes or special information um, were, su- were somehow higher up in the hierarchy in fandom. Um, than you could ever hope to be, or, or mm. at, at, that, at that time. Mm. Now things like Twitter um, and the internet, certainly th- places like YouTube, totally destroy and subvert that. In as much as when you go to Twitter, mm. there's a You know, you, you can go and you can follow Arthur Darville, if you know what he's called. You can follow. Um, Louise Jameson you can follow Fraser Hines you can follow Stephen Moffat you can follow Christopher H. Bidmead you can follow Tom Spilsbury all these, all, you know, all these people who are connected to Doctor Who in one way or another you know, Rob Shearman's a great participant as well as is um, Neil Gaiman So, so suddenly, it's not you know. It's interesting you said it's about who you know, um, but suddenly you can see how much is known, or conversely, how much is not known uh, by these people.
3: I really want to pick up on one of the things you just mentioned. There is, is where you said Twitter destroys hierarchy within fandom because I would disagree with that hugely. I would think it actually adds uh, a hierarchy you have well if, if you want to look at it in a really bad way you have the plebs right at the bottom people who are just watching the show then you have, seem to have another kind of layer for people who are tenuously involved in the show mm. writers perhaps sometimes um, and, and then you have people who are very very involved in making the show and then you have the official feeds and I think that's a, a very top-down structure and if for instance you um, are at the bottom of that hierarchy and you tweet oh I really hated this episode then you have a whole load of writers or something who are above you in that hierarchy gang up on you and say hang on that's not actually correct now I'm speaking partially from a little bit of experience here where I've, i I would say that I, I've got on I'm quite opinionated on Twitter using the Doctor Who podcast feed particularly about big finished plays and unless I'm universally positive positive. Then I do get a, a small group of writers who doesn't matter what I say. It's almost as if they're placing themselves slightly above us in the sh- social strata of fandom, and I find that quite, I uh, find of quite depressing.
0: Well, it, 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 it's, it's that's, that's us as a species, isn't it? You know, hierarchies they they, they, they they coalesce and they form, and it's, it's how we operate. I would definitely agree with what you say, Tom,
2: and disagree to with you say, James, because I was going to say I think Twitter and Facebook level the playing field even more these days, because I think these days it's not so much about who provides the information, it's when you see the information, there is very much an ownership of information now that, sure, there might be Neil Gaiman or Stephen Moffat or, you know, Arthur Darville will tweet or Facebook something, but then once it gets down to the next level of fandom in inverted commas, it becomes their information which they're sending on, so I think it, it, it does level the playing field. And also, too, I think there's a lot a lot less verification of information. There yeah. doesn't seem to be as hard a scrutiny in the validity of the information being <laughs> sent out there. People yeah. are very, very hungry to get any information they can get their hands on. And I think Twitter and Facebook are a very easy way for someone in the Doctor Who production team to... Put that little seed in there—that little seed of information. I think Stephen Moffat's realised that to a very great extent, that he can make one casual comment that will put Twitter and Facebook into an absolute frenzy for a fortnight, and it will cost—and it will
0: cost them nothing.
4: And exactly, it's, it's genius, really. The other thing I notice about specifically Twitter, and I do want to bring this round to talking about to talking about forums as well, actually. Um, But the thing I noticed about Twitter is that, yes, there does seem to be uh, an increased presence of Doctor Who alumni in there. But I noticed it's more classic series. Um, And I noticed that – and what has helped me to understand is – Rob Sherman mentioned this when I interviewed him some time ago – that fans like to believe that there's some sort of hierarchy going on inside the BBC you know, so when, when there's a new Doctor or a new companion somehow Rob Shearman's going to be contacted and told and, it's, and he says it's, it's sheer madness why would they be telling me about any of this stuff But people expect me to know but, as, but at the same time I noticed as I say that the, the more active Twitter people tend to be pe- uh, ca- uh, character actors or production team members from the classic series mm-hmm. yeah
3: and a, a lot of that is because they're touting for work uh, I think it's quite <laughs> commonly known that um, the people who've been on the DWP in the past, Bernard Holly and uh, and, and Ian Cullen, they're doing it in a public arena now, they're, they're making certain that the right people are aware that they're available for work and yeah. you can see these conversations happening uh, between Gary Russell uh, Phil Ford occasionally and, and most predominantly Big Finish and Nick Briggs mm. because I think mm. they think well you know I haven't actually had a significant amount of work for some time now and it'd be really good to to cash in on something that I participated in years ago that is now a worldwide phenomenon. And and this leads me on to another question focusing on Twitter. Are people really genuine on Twitter generally? I mean, do you really get the personal interaction uh, that everybody sells Twitter on the basis of? They say, yeah, you know, you can come and speak to Stephen Moffat, come and speak to Neil Gaiman. Do you really or one, do you end up speaking to a PA or a press agent or or do you Simply get ignored because hundreds of thousands of people had the same access as everyone else.
4: Well, James, you you talked to uh, you talked to Nicola Bryant not that not long ago, and she told you this. She told you all about her experience with Twitter, and I think that for people like her, um, again, you know, Nicola Bryant, Louise Jameson. Um, I know she's not a Doctor Who person, but someone like Miranda Hart um, have. Uh, a, a variable experience of Twitter. I mean, one of the things we have to understand. I mean, I, I've got to be very careful. I'm not. I'm not trying to be bitter. I'm not trying to be, trying to be evil or anything. But um, I, it's very easy to forget that these are people. They're not just characters who get into boxes yes. at the end of the night. Yes. Uh, and so there, there are people who say the most. Op- Appallingly offensive and rude and dreadful things to the two people who just act for a job, who make TV for a job, and there is the suggestion that well, if you put yourself in the public arena, then you must expect the public to respond. But okay, it's almost as if people. I've I've seen some of the exchanges, particularly to Nicola Bryant, uh, where people are just absolutely offensive. Is too is too gentle a word.
0: See, I I think that's evidence of the fact that people don't feel like they're connecting very closely with people because they they haven't quite grasped the concept of, that that person is at the end of the line there and yes. and are receiving these tweets and and, and taking them to heart. So I think, I think that shows that people don't quite understand how close they are to people.
2: Especially these days to do, I think, I mean, certainly with um, Facebook and with Google+, for example. Sure, people are people, but I think the people who are following them or liking them, put them in boxes. Mm. Yeah. I know certainly with Facebook and Google+, which I've used a little bit, that you are actively encouraged to say, what your relationship to this person is and and, and I've got certain categories set up under my profile for Facebook and Google Plus which say personal friend Mm. Doctor Who acquaintance Doctor Who celebrity Mm. so you're instantly putting these people in boxes and Mm. and Google Plus I think even too puts you in certain circles of friends Mm. so you're entering a certain circle with a preconceived conception Mm. even before you read any of their tweets
0: but also that that kind of mass cataloguing of people and uh, interconnecting everyone together feels like the plot of a Doctor Who story anyway (laughs) the doctor will turn up at any moment and go what are you
3: thinking it does but is it is it unavoidable i think as technology develops and face-to-face contact is just simply not required to operate in today's world do people lose sense of the fact that they are talking to real people i think that's a a really really good point um i read a tweet a little while ago that just said twitter the voice of the vocal minority Mm. and that that i think is really really true you know you get people especially those who yeah. tweet about politics a lot of the time you know they use it as a place to vent mm. and um I, I just think you know is, is that a good thing that twitter is actually giving these people you know a, a bit more of a voice or is it, does it disproportionately represent whatever it is they're trying to put on the internet
0: it's funny i've never really thought about it before but they're, they're almost as if they're they're the bore from the pub who's too shy to be a real bore in a pub so sits at home and, and, and writes it down
3: that's right, that, and I think that's absolutely correct. Well, um,
4: actually, I don't know if I agree with that. There are, there, there is a lot of, there, there are a number of people who hide behind, an, perceived anonymity, and use that. To make some quite appalling com- uh, comments, uh, which I'll come on to shortly, um, but I th- I th- there's also beauty there. There's also inspiration there. There's also joy there. Uh, you know, we've got a. Whole, if you think, if you consider what this is, this is inline communication to which the entire world, or at least uh, those who are not technologically deprived, have access. And you do have to be very selective. And I like, I like the analogy, the analogy of a pub. You have to be, you have to have a certain level of sociability to go to a pub. And once you're there, you don't. You can choose. To interact, you can choose to go and sit at the bar at the end of the bar of your own. You can choose to be part of a single conversation. You can choose to work the room. So it it is just another type of interaction, and in every element of human interaction, there will be those who attract, there will be those who repel, there are those who encourage, and there will be those who disparage.
3: Hmm, I know. And I, does Twitter give those individuals who do have difficulty being heard in the pub because their views are either unpopular or because they do have a I don't know, an unfortunate way of expressing themselves. I mean, mm. does, does Twitter actually help them, or does it hinder them?
2: Yes and no, really, because I think it all comes down to the people that are following you. It, it comes down to what the people perceive <laughs> your post as. No, it, it really does. I mean, Oof, if, yeah. if, if I can draw a non-Doctor Who analogy here... Oof. I went to a recent rugby union game against a New Zealand team here in Australia. Mm. The fans that were present at that game were were quite boorish, quite rude, just some of the worst behaviour I've ever seen at a rugby union match. So I got on Facebook later and made some very, very careful and very barbed comments about the particular fans, making sure that the people who followed that particular um, club would see those sort of comments. But nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. To, to, to me, it's more about the people that follow you more than about who you are yourself.
3: Does, does the kind of person who follow you, does does that really have a major impact in whether or not Twitter is a useful tool or yes. a damaging one? Well, so in yes, other words, are, you, are we all saying that we yes. have absolutely no control over the kind of forum that we're generating? I, I disagree. I think we do have. And I think that, well, the way you tweet will inform... Who follows yeah. you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. But your but but your tweet in isolation is just a tweet. It's just a hundred and sixty-six character thing sent out into the void. Mm. It's the way your followers interpret that tweet, and then retweet, and then let people know about what the horrible thing that James said last week about my favourite big finish play. That gauges the quality and you know the way that tweet's being perceived by others. It's, it's almost as
0: if we we're, we're being set up um, for a joke here. I mean, one hundred and forty characters. It's like it's a parlour game from from the Victorian era. You're, you're told to <laughs> yes. to get a point across in
4: 140 characters, and, and people would struggle in the in the drawing room. I'd like to pick up on some of the, on, on some of the points that Trev's just made there, with um, three, three specific things. I mean, what I, I have about. Three hundred and something followers, and I thought, "Well, that's actually quite good." And then I noticed, while I was having a bit of a Twitter, a Twitter break, um, that there's a, there's a bot, a little robot that does nothing but swear when an episode of The Archers is scheduled <laughs> for transmission, and it's got, tw- <laughs> it's got something like quarter of a million followers. Twitter I thought, envy. Well, well, I, I looked at it, and I thought, "Well, that just explains to me just." <laughs> no matter how well I thought I was doing, that's that, that's just a piece of code that's got... <laughs> <God knows laughs> no, They've brought
3: you down a peg but or something. There, there, will, there will, will always be um, things like that that, uh, you know, that are going to emulate real people um, because people see there's a commercial opportunity within Twitter as well. Um, I, I'm interested, just, just to go back to the Doctor Who kind of things and perhaps bring it down um, a, a level so it, it's not so ethereal or intelligent, should I say. Um, do, do you think... We, as Doctor Who fans, and other podcasts as well, have a responsibility. Uh, In other words, when we promote um, certain things that we've seen or conventions that we've been to, for instance, um, do we have a responsibility to make certain that we don't send out messages that our followers will see as spam?
4: No, no. Um, it, 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 it's called the Doctor Who podcast. It's in, it's c- implicit that we're getting, we are fans of Doctor Who and we will tweet a lot about Doctor Who. Um, I, I, I think there's a responsibility to be uh, to, to be true to the, the spirit of the podcast. I look, it's a family show. We can't be um, sending out swearing and we can't be talking about things which are frankly inappropriate. Is there a need to talk about sex and politics and religion? Probably not. That's um, why
3: we haven't given Trevor access to it anymore. It, exactly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but at the same time. <laughs> Inside
4: that, um, and this, and this is something which, which I can put, which, which, which I'm not gonna mention any names, but I remember at one point, there was somebody in the fan community who was being actually offensive to me, and I thought, okay, with my professional head on, I could say, well, all right, fair enough, please don't talk to me like that, or I could say, actually, I'm a human being. You've got no right to talk to me like that, and I will block you. And I did. And he seemed surprised because that's a human thing to do. Uh, but it wasn't from the it wasn't from the, the podcast account. It was from it, he was talking directly to me and being actually quite offensive. So I thought, well, actually, I don't have to put up with this, and blocked him. Which he but didn't. when are you going to unblock me? <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. As, as soon as you, <laughs> you start talk to me every week. <laughs> as, as soon as you start being nice. But to follow on from that, um, I, I, I've, got, I've got to say, and this this, uh, this addresses a point of, uh, uh, that Trevor made, and it also involves you, James. Um, I, I wrote a blog sometime ago called Curry and Motown uh, all about um, about mongrel, uh, England as a mongrel nation and the, the, the British National Party are maybe uh, missing that point. Um, and it was picked up by a guy called Mitch Ben, who we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and also a guy called Dave Gorman. Uh, they both retwe- retweeted a link, to the, a link to the blog, and I was, it was actually frightening to see fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 people hitting the blog in the space of a mm. morning. Um, so so, you know, so that, was, that was quite amazing. But also, James, similarly too, you take my activity... Uh, with my music and you push it out through the Doctor Who podcast feed to like two and, yeah. and a half, three, two and a half, three thousand people and to me that's astonishing um, to, so, so I think there is a responsibility to be very selective about what it is that you tweet because you need to be mindful of your audience if it's your own personal and, so that, and this brings it back round to Doctor Who. So when I see Fraser Hines talking about um, the work he's been done and he's taking Chase Manhattan, uh, who's a lovely uh, actress, uh, American actress that he's been working with, out around uh, the, uh, the, the countryside of Wales when Nicola Bryant is talking about her projects, when... Um, uh, Gareth Roberts is talking about what he's up to. I I quite like that. I mean it, it is you know they seem to be aware that they're in a public in a public public arena. I just feel sorry when there are followers and it's only and it's only ever going to be a minority who forget that there is a person there.
0: Well and Twitter's not all doom and gloom. I mean so no, is the great. internet and social media in general. It's it's 88% just dullness. And you know and there's and it occasionally gifts you a a present like like your your blog Tom and uh, one morning I woke up uh, to read a tweet from Colin Baker saying that he was on his way to, to where I live to to, Colin d- Baker. to do some rehearsals across the road, literally across the road. And I had the day off, so, and I knew roughly what time he was going to be here. So I, I took uh, my trial of a time lord box set and uh, I went and stood at the car park. And he drove up and, and we had a, a nice chat on the side of the road and he signed my stuff.
3: Oh, you you, did, you didn't throw it at him then. Oh no, like no, <laughs> no. Good, that's
4: all right because it is a metal. Yeah, tip. He was
0: he was a wonderful guy and, and yeah. So occasionally it'll give you that little
4: that little pearl. So I like that. I, 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 that's the sort of thing I like. And Colin Baker, of course, is always going to be a great ambassador mm. for the show. In fact, you know, he's going to get that tattooed on him. Colin Baker, great ambassador for the mm-hmm. show. Um, <laughs>
2: or uh, Twitter, fantastic stalking tool. Mm. That works too.
5: Yes. <laughs>
3: I'm interested, just before we do move on, uh, to find out who we enjoy following the most. I mean, DWM have done this recently. I think they've had about three articles now of who you should be following if you are a Doctor Who fan. Uh, But but I'm I'm interested in each of your opinions. Who would you say uh, are are the people's tweets that you look forward to? And let's start with you, Trevor.
2: Mine mightn't be a very specific answer. It's more about the people I follow that post interesting information because i i use twitter and facebook in an incredibly casual way sure i follow a lot of very interesting people in the doctor who world but i also follow a lot of interesting people that also love doctor who that are just general fans and what i love when i pull up you know stuff like facebook and twitter that they're posting information about doctor who like there's been a lot of stuff recently about um Matt Smith doing the torch run for the Olympics. Yeah. And there's been all sorts of stuff about, you know, the recent Blue Peter episode that's been on. So it's great for me to see the people I'm following on Twitter and Facebook and go, oh, that's happening in the Doctor Who world. I didn't know about that because, you know, I, I don't sit on the internet all the time. And then going and doing my own research and finding out information and watching stuff and keeping up to date that way.
4: Hmm. Okay. Tom, how about you? Um... I I like Christopher H Bidmead. He's oh. Goodness. I know, I know, I know.
5: <laughs> I, I, I,
3: I, don't, I don't understand his stories and I don't understand his tweets. Why can't he use words that have less than
4: 15 letters in them? <laughs> well, I, I quite like him, but like, <laughs> but like him, I like Dr. Phil Cerner as well. He's, he's, he's excellent. Mm. Um, oh, and he's very kind to us as well. So. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, Follow Fridays get a little bit confusing. Fraser Hines is, is interesting. Nicola Bryant is great. Colin Baker is really cool too. Tom Spillsbury. Uh, David Richardson's great. Um, I, I read one I don't know if he tweeted this Or Facebooked it But there was one From me A couple of days ago Where he said I've just had a very surreal Conversation with Katie Manning Who has glued her iPhone To her ta- kitchen table <laughs> And it's- yes, essential
3: information, really, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, <laughs> I don't mean. No, you see,
0: I, I, I can't really put my finger on any, on anyone that, that comes to mind sort of above anyone else, and I think that says more about how I use Twitter um, than, you know, the fact that there aren't sort of people that are worth listening to on it. Um, and it's, it's sort of reflective of how I act in the pub. I'll go to the pub to listen to, well, the Doctor Who podcast, mm. of course, uh, and or read a book, and I'll, I'll, I'll quite happily sit in the corner and have a couple of pints by the fire. Um, and I think I do the same in, in, in the virtual world too. I, I've, I I was quite active on Twitter to start with, and I've sort of taken a back seat. And I'm a I'm a watcher now. I just read.
3: <sighs> but what about the official feeds, Lisa? I mean, like, do do you? I mean, how did you find out, for instance, about the the two lost episodes when they were rediscovered? Because that was that was announced on Twitter.
0: Well, now uh, I have a I have an application for my uh, my smartphone, non-branded smartphone, and. Um, and it one you know, sort of these gathers up all the all the news feeds and plonks them there on your desktop. Um, so that's that's where I get most of my information from, and yeah, you know, and information that's been released on Twitter will will turn up on there. Uh, so that's that's my hub really. That kind of brings me a little bit back to I don't think people really
2: remember where they get the information. There's less validity these days. When you mention that lost episode thing, I had a really hard time figuring out, well, where did I hear that? Was it on Twitter? Was it on Facebook? Did one of you guys email me? It's more about just information coming in. People, I, I think, because of the aggregate way we're seeing a lot of these social media things these days through the various, you know, iPad apps or Android apps, that... It's just information coming in. And, as soon, and as soon as source, it's there, it's everywhere. You know, it's, it's literally... Well, yeah,
3: but, but most, yeah. most of it is. And I, I would agree with that most of it is. But I think stuff like you know, lost episodes being rediscovered, that's a moment for me. Mm. I remember where I was when I read that. I remember where I was when I read that Elizabeth Sladen had passed away. That was on Twitter. And, and there are certain events, really big things, that I, I, I do... And it's not just within Doctor Who. Um, I remember where I was you know, I remember where I heard it. Everybody knows where they were, well, should know where they were for the millennium. (laughs) You know, there are certain things that don't just get caught up in, you know, the general newsreel of the day. You see, I remember
0: Um, where, but
2: I, I forget the source. I think you might be the exception, James. I think a lot of people are consuming media in a very, very ad hoc way these days. And sure, they might remember they were in the pub when they pulled out their smartphone and looked at it. But Ask them where the heck they got it from, and I don't think they have a clue.
3: Oh, maybe, maybe I am unique there. I'll be interested, listeners, in what, what, in what you think. But for me, Twitter is something that I, I will remember. I, I, and a lot of people are using other forms of social media to say they're going to make an announcement on Twitter. And uh, the most recent thing um, was, uh, w- was Ed Russell, uh, the brand manager at the BBC. And pretty much every Facebook page or social media page that he's part of says, keep an eye on the official Doctor Who feed at midnight. So I did. And that was when it was announced that Matt Smith was going to be um, holding the Olympic Talks, which, of course, as we're recording, he's done that now. But that kind of thing does stick with me, and I do remember where I, where I heard. You see, I,
0: I often find myself retrospectively, uh, you know, when I, when I find out something's broken on Twitter, I'll be skimming back through the timeline and, and <laughs> reliving it as if it's live.
3: Let me ask you one last question, uh, the three of you, before we do move on to um, to the forums. And I know Tom's got a lot to say about uh, a certain Gallifrey base, uh, but spoilers. <laughs> right, now, spoilers uh, is a subject that's been discussed. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast over the last couple of years. And I think, on the whole, despite the production team clamming up, particularly since Moffat took over, I think it is hard to avoid stuff. And I think Twitter... Is, is probably the most guilty thing because, of course, people discuss things and people who are not mad, rabid Doctor Who fans um, won't necessarily understand why tweeting or retweeting the title of an episode for instance and uh, if you are particularly prone to spoilers I guess this is the point where you need to tune out for a little while Um, we're going to be talking about titles of Doctor Who episodes so depending on where that falls on your spoiler threshold uh, you may want to switch off but we've there was an announcement a little while ago within Doctor Who magazine that the first episode of season seven is going to be called Asylum of the Daleks sorry did you hear that, or was that deliberately blocking it out? It. <laughs> 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 that was quite well timed. No, no, if you do that again, I'm going to have to, my little friends who sit next to me just say.
0: <laughs> I'll send okay. Morbius over.
3: Behave. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is, is this something you can avoid? Is this something that Twitter really should, you know, just just not be looked at when there are spoilers being bandied around like this? Because it's impossible to control how this information gets out. Really. Exactly.
2: Exactly. I mean. I mean. I follow the Academy Awards quite a lot. I I love watching it every year. And I know because of the delay between um, when it gets broadcast in the States and when it gets broadcast here in Australia, it's like about 10 hours. So I know I've got to disconnect from the internet for like half a day. So you do unplug? I think... I, I, I have to. I have to pull the socket out from the wall and say... Please don't send me any more internet, Mr ISP. Disconnecting from the I hive mind. I can't come back to you for 12 hours because <laughs> everywhere we'll be talking about it. And it's the same thing with Doctor Who, that I, I think you have to accept that if you're going to be part of the internet community, if you're going to be part of social media, Facebook and Twitter and whatever, that you will be spoiled. Well, I, I think don't get... um, It doesn't mean you have to like it and it doesn't mean you can't be vocal about um, trying to get some order to the mess, but... It's frankly but i don't
0: I don't think I can honestly say that there's anything that I've read or, or that have come out and have been labeled spoilers that that have really really spoiled any of my enjoyment of the show with possible exception of the the knowing about one of the one of the people dying you no know, knowing that the doctor's going to yeah. die and I thought well, it probably would have been nicer, but it didn't ruin anything for me uh, so i don't I don't i don't I don't I don't ever have to disconnect uh, or, or avoid anything.
3: It's all about the choices that you make. And do you think the Doctor Who fandom generally hits the balance between technology being a good thing and technology replacing
4: social and human interaction? I think the technology enhances the interaction and make, in the main... And I mean, but in the main, it enhances the, inter- the interaction, it, it, it absolutely allows the interaction to blossom and grow organically. But, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm an organism which is built of single cells. Most of those cells work and are, con- and are conducive to my well-being. Some of them, on the other hand, mm-hmm. um, are, you know, aren't so great. So as fandom grows and as fandom becomes more vocal, as fandom becomes more visible, then similarly those people that are part of any community who maybe don't represent the community, but are very, very vocal, will also grow and become more visible too. The
0: huge you wobbly moles it. on the side of fandom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> what you're actually talking about sort of gets me thinking about like the disparate elements of fandom. You know, the ones that are geographically challenged, the ones that are spread around the world, the ones that You know, really haven't had the opportunity to have a local fan group, or you know, fans living in their next street to talk to about Doctor Who. I mean, I I mean, for me, I think social media. That's the greatest success of social media. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. makes the world smaller in a good way, that it can
3: get someone at the other side of the world, like me. Yeah, talking
2: to guys like you, exactly. And, exactly here you know, we are in in, in on, ongoing dialogue. No,
3: and I and I completely agree with that. And at, at the risk of making it sound a bit like a loving, you know, I mean, i I've, I've met Trevor once just once i've been recording with him for nearly three and a half years and yet he genuinely is one of my closest friends i, I can say things to trevor that i would hesitate about saying to someone who i've known like at work for uh, for a couple of years and that that's simply because the internet really does work in a positive way for most most of the time
0: yeah it b- brings people to- brings people together and you know it's It's always nice to get your whole family together, isn't it? I'm not just talking about us as a family, but it's nice when you get your extended family, your real family together, but then when they all turn up, there's always a couple that you don't really get on with. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Ian and Michelle aren't here today. Oh, oh. that's far
3: too harsh on them. That's not true. <laughs> and, but let's uh, let's let's round off this this conversation on 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 Twitter. But and just to say, listeners, we are very interested uh, to hear what you think uh, about how Twitter works within fandom. Does it enhance your experience of being a fan? I mean, do do you enjoy following the Doctor Who podcast? Do you read all of our tweets? Do you go back and just check those that you've missed over the last twenty four hours or so? or is it very much a, you know, a haphazard thing you pick it up every now and again pretty much as, uh, as Leeson does when he's in the pub mm. but um, let's move on to talk about forums which is slightly different and Tom this is something that I think you're reasonably strongly opinionated about
4: oh, I-, I could easily transpose all of the comments that we've made about Twitter onto uh, the forum of which I am most, a most constant member um, which one's that Tom? Uh, are we allowed to say? I didn't know you could say it without, without spitting blood. Oh, well, Gallifrey Base. I mean, I, yeah. so, so here's the thing. Um, the days where I've been proudest to be a fan um, are many, very, very many. very. The days I've been most ashamed to be a Doctor Who fan um, have been as a direct result of looking at some of the places on Gallifrey Base. But I refer you to the comment I made earlier about um, as fandom expi- expands and becomes, a, a, and, and becomes more visible, then there are also going to be places where there's an underbelly. And Gallifrey Base has got... I think at last count was like thirty thousand subscribers. I, I, I can easily go and check, but um, and it's only ever but of that thirty thousand, there's only ever one or two. Who are consistently irritating <laughs> and deluded? Uh, well, what is
3: it? What is it about them that you really don't like? Why? Why uh, is well? Got, you're talking about potentially two members out of thirty thousand, but it, it really gets your goat because I've, I've I've talked about this with you before. And I'm really interested. What is it about the nature of the posts that basically
4: has you hopping mad at your computer? Actually, you know what? I take it back. It's not two people. It's two threads that are continually <laughs> that, that, that okay. it. Um it. But okay, I mean, it, it, it's. The people on those threads demonstrate the sort of supercilious hubris that Absolutely makes my makes my blood boil. It's that kind of, um, it's the it's the secretarial mentality, and I'm not I'm not am not do not mean to insult any PAs or secretaries, where you don't where where some people believe that because they are the diary organizer for the boss, they actually run the company and they know better than the, the than the boss. Um, it's the sort of mentality that says, "Well, I consume the program, so I know better than the people who make it." Um, it's the sort of mentality that says, I've, "I I do not understand that I am part of the audience, not part." of the production team. It's the sort of mentality that says, um, okay, well because I'm part of the audience, yes you have the right to an opinion but those opinions are not facts.
3: So is it just a case of when, when people assume that they know far more that, that really
4: irritates you or is it a case of people saying, well actually I didn't like this because of a reason that you don't agree with? No, no, I've got, I've got, I've, I like to be challenged I enjoy, having, uh, I enjoy having spirited debates but when someone doesn't under- understand the difference between attending a meeting and chairing it, that really <laughs> upsets me. It doesn't upset me. It's like, well, there's no point in talking to you. Um, I, I remember having a, having a discussion or participating in a discussion with somebody who was saying, well, the majority of fans think this episode was rubbish. And I said, and I said no, the majority of fans who care to express a preference in this forum <laughs> don't like it. But you must understand that statistically that's less... That is, I, thought, I remember it was 0.001% of the total audience... And he was saying, "Well, no, 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 that, that, that's the majority. Like, no, it's a majority of fans on a forum who form this potential percentage of part of the audience. If I was Stephen Moffat, I would, I would ignore you as well." <laughs> and then, and then, and then
2: it just, I think that's the thing too, though. With with the you internet, know, it's it's very easy to be negative. I mean, I've, I've certainly been guilty of that myself throughout my entire <laughs> posting never, and podcasting. Uh, no, 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 you haven't. No, right? never, never. No, no, no I, I have. Think think it's, it's it's incredibly easy to jump on the internet and go. Worst episode ever. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to get on the internet and go, "Oh, I love that episode! It was the most, the best thing I've ever seen." You know, you should all rush out and see it. um Because negativity, I think, comes to us a lot easier than yes, positivity. True. Yep, yep, yep. And yep. I I I think too because we we've moved a long way from when I started on the internet, where we had news groups like Rec Arts Doctor Who. Oh wow. had, Uh Email groups like Doctor Who-L, I think it's because we're slowly polluting each area that we're involved with with such negativity. We're then moving to a fresh one. So we've moved from groups, we've moved from email groups, we've moved on to Twitter, we've moved on to Facebook. I think the transition will be a lot slower now because Twitter and Facebook are so large
4: that it takes a lot longer for the uh, waters to become sullied. There, are, there is reason debate to be had. I mean, for instance, I know on Gallifrey Base, stay out of the rate threads just after the episode has aired because you get mm. real extremes of opinion uh, in those in those threads. And it doesn't take away from the validity of that opinion, but it's just an opinion. But uh, they're strangely addictive, aren't
3: they? I mean, even on our own forum where you know we don't have any of these issues generally, I mean, you go in there and you think, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to respond, but I am going to. But I am going to check back to see if there's any more replies. And I'm now of a view where I, I will very rarely contribute uh, to, to a debate uh, unless it's one or two lines where I can make my point quite quite quickly and then I move on. Uh, but it's it's sometimes you just read them and you think, oh god, I really shouldn't be reading this, but something draws you back ten minutes later to see if there's been another response. <laughs> and, and Gallifrey Base is, I mean, that, that's exactly what happened with me, which is why I'm no longer part of that either. And it's
0: amazing because these. Supposedly considered opinions. Uh, I mean, the, the credits have barely rolled. I mean, you, you haven't mm-hmm. had the next time trailer or anything, and these people have got you know spouting vitriol all over the all over the forums. It's it's quite incredible. It's, I don't know how people form phenomenal. opinions so quickly. It takes me a week. I don't. <laughs> I want
3: to find out <laughs> what everyone it else longer, is saying. I
4: know it takes longer than that, Lisa. <laughs> what, you, what, what I will say though. About Gallifrey base is that there are some, some, there are a couple of threads which are pure joy. Um, the the Velvet Web, where fans get together and. Sh- okay, so I'll I'll, I'll I'll say this. The Velvet guys, Web sounds lovely, though. It's, it's wonderful, mm, but I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say this, guys. If, if you've not experienced Gallifrey Bass in all of its wonder and horror yet, um, go. Go and have a look. Go and have a look at places like the Velvet Web, where there are pictures of fans at conventions in the most amazing, beautiful, and imaginative costumes, um, and, who are, and who talk to each other in a totally supportive and encouraging way. There's a guy on there called Timelord25, who has done some stunning work in recreating Doctor Who costumes, and he's happy to talk to anyone about where they can go, what they can do, um, showing you. About, it, it's lovely. Um, there's a guy called Pumpkiny, who makes these great replicas Um, there's the happiness patrol a great little thread if you're feeling strong of stomach then have a look at Crater with Needles and the rape threads. But there's an awful lot of really, really good stuff. And of course, one of the celebrities of Doctor Who fandom lives in Gallifrey Base, a guy called Sparacus. Um, and there, I think when I first read his posts, it was some years ago, maybe five years ago now, I, there was a moment where I was, I was having difficulty breathing because I was laughing so hard. Um, so look, there's lots of wonder, there's lots of, there's lots of joy in there too. Uh, it's just that the, the I, I get angry because to me, in my view, human being, are wonderful, amazing things. We're ace, um, but when I see the, when I see that people are just. Focusing on the vitriol, it makes me ang- It makes me annoyed. I don't like super silly as people. I don't like arrogant people. I don't like people who think they know better, or people who talk without <laughs> listening. Um, and yet, you record with us week in, week <laughs> out, you silly boy. You I, never, know. I have no idea what you're talking about, Tom. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I, I don't know that, that this, this is beginning to be a bit, get a bit Jerry Springer, but yeah. But the, the, there's joy there. There's abs- there is actually joy there. But like I say, be careful of the right threads and be careful of the crater of needles. Wonderful. Can- well,
2: I think with any social media you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. If you want to visit certain areas that will make you sad, that will make you unhappy, then that's what you want to do. Hmm. But certainly there's there's tons of stuff out there on Facebook. You just have to really follow the right people. You have yeah. to be friends with the right people that you know will provide you with the sort of I suppose electronic sustenance that you crave.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and that comes back to 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 the point I made right at the very beginning. Um, Communities form in time and space around the resources necessary to sustain them, Um, and some and some communities form around depression. You know, misery loves company, Um, but most form around um, things as you rightly say, that that are sustaining. And if
0: any of you people out there in Doctor Who podcast land would like to,
4: well, follow me or, or be followed by me on Twitter, then uh, you can find me at Leeson at the Doctor Who podcast. If you want to come and find me, I'm, I'm very often on the Doctor Who podcast feed, so I'm, I'm nearby there.
2: And if you want to follow me, I'm at T. or you can find me on um, Facebook. I've got one of those wonderfully unique last names where it shouldn't be too hard to find me, and a wonderful picture of me sitting on the top of my roof. So yeah, <laughs> track me down.
3: Yeah. How long were you up there, Trev? I was meant to ask. Too long. There are a lot of
2: leaves in those gutters.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You can follow me at The Doctor Who Podcast. That's abbreviated The DR Who Podcast. Or James at The DW Podcast. P uh, and of course we need to mention we have our own forum and we've mentioned it a few times throughout this recording where we have Ian and Michelle as moderators uh, they also contribute to the podcast as regular listeners will know by now already and they've been listening to Big Finish Companion Chronicles once again this time it's Empathy Games which is the second in what they've called the Leela Trilogy. Over to you, Ian and Michelle.
5: Not long ago, we had a chance to discuss The Catalyst, which was the first in a trio of Companion Chronicles that features Leela and the fourth Doctor. Today, we're going to get a chance to discuss the second one in that trilogy. This one is called Empathy Games, also written by Nigel Fares. And in this story, uh, after kind of a fiery mishap in the TARDIS, the Doctor and Leela land on a planet that has no war and no crime, and all the weapons are used only for decoration, allegedly.
6: Going into this, I hadn't looked at the cast list, but as soon as David Warner's vocals came over, I immediately recognised him. And he's got such a fabulous voice. And what I was particularly interesting is that I'm very familiar with his work from various genre things like Babylon 5 and Star Trek. And so the moment I heard his voice, I could picture his face and the way he brings characters to life on screen. And for me, that actually really helped bring this story to life, is that the whole time I was listening to it, I was seeing David Warner act, playing out the part of Coordinator Angel.
5: I think both David Warner's performance as well as Louise Jameson's were top-notch in this, one of the joys of listening to this story.
6: I actually had a slightly hard time with this story, but it wasn't really the fault of the story. The, The first time I listened to it, I was on a long drive in an unfamiliar part of the country, And I got actually all the way to the second part and realised that because I was focusing on where I was going, I hadn't really paid enough attention to the story. And I find that with some big finishes, that there's some require more attention than others. And I realised that I really hadn't been doing this story justice. And so the next day, I actually started from the beginning again and listened to it again.
5: Did your opinion change?
6: Not my opinion as much as I appreciated it more. I I didn't not like it the first time round. I hadn't really clocked the texture of the plot and what was going on and I did the second time round. What I find fascinating about this story is that it's got a very otherworldly feel to it, which sounds an obvious thing to say about a Doctor Who story, but I really did feel that this was going off into sort of another world and you were being lost in that world along with Leela, and it required a certain amount of concentration to let yourself be absorbed into that.
1: There we are, Leela. One of the 700 wonders of the universe, the waters of empathy. I see no water. I see only buildings and sky. The doctor's smile did not falter. If anything, it became wider. That isn't sky, Leela. It's water. The largest water sculpture ever constructed. I looked again and saw that he was right. The sky, a brilliant white streaked with blue and green, was moving like a huge waterfall, going upwards instead of down. The shapes I had taken for clouds were actually enormous balls of foam floating away from the water and across the roof of a large dark building on the horizon.
5: As with the first story in the trilogy there's a very haunting overtone to it and and the music adds to that by being very melancholic and moody. It does help paint the picture of this alien world very different culture.
6: Melancholy is exactly the word that I had in mind about this. It's very much an atmospheric story. I'm not so taken with the actual plot itself. It's not sort of a trotting along action story. It's much more about the atmosphere and what the characters are feeling and losing yourself in the world that they're painting.
5: Yeah, much more contemplative and and kind of the interior world is explored. This is a story that looks at how we deal with our fears and, and our darker side and how we address that. And the style and the imagery and and the music, I think, all works together to that end.
6: Yes, and we're also presented with the second part of the backstory, which is the framing device for this whole trilogy, where Lilo is doomed and trapped inside, uh, I think, a prison cell of a dead race. And that also has this sort of very wistful melancholic feel about it as Lila is looking back over her life. as an interesting parallel between the outer and the inner stories.
5: On a lighter note, we also uh, get a nice glimpse and a little bit of explanation as to what happened to that old wood console room that we saw for much of the time that Lila was with the Doctor.
6: Yes, we get an explanation for that, although within the story it seemed a little bit random. It appeared to just be dropped in there for not a huge amount of purpose other than to for the fans to go, aha, that's what that is. But, in, but interesting nonetheless.
5: It did serve the purpose of the theme about how we deal with our fears in that it introduced what the doctor's fear is or a fear of the doctor. Doctor, why are you afraid? For
1: a moment he seemed about to protest but then he sighed and his voice lowered almost to a whisper looked into my eyes. A long time ago I saw a whole planet burn, Leela. A mighty civilization literally going up in smoke. Death on an almost inconceivable scale, so huge, so inexorable, that I was powerless to stop it.
5: It Gets mentioned it becomes important later on in the story.
6: It did, but it seemed a touch clumsy to just suddenly have the Doctor be paralysed with fear, out of nowhere, from something that he's faced many times before and since, and I found a bit strange. But it's a relatively minor point in what was otherwise... A really quite captivating and engaging audio.
5: Yeah, definitely a strong continuation of this trilogy that Nigel Fares wrote for Louise Jameson as Leela. Again, recommended.
3: Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Michelle. Um, it's really interesting having someone spending the time listening to the Companion Chronicle range. I mean, for me, I simply don't get the time to listen to everything Big Finish put out, and um, I, I sometimes now make my decisions about which stories to listen to purely from Ian and Michelle's recommendations. Mm. Yeah, there are some fabulous, fabulous Companion Chronicles out there.
2: I hope Big Finish aren't listening to this, uh, James. They'll probably revoke your membership card.
3: I listen to practically every other range, and I've been a subscriber since 1999. So, my license should not be revoked (laughs) (laughs) now
2: leeson leeson i've 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 got a bone to pick with you mate you announced a competition a couple of episodes ago and um you frankly overloaded our email servers with responses (laughs) so i think we need to draw this thing before we you know we, we crash the entire doctor who podcast site that's what happens trevor when you let a professional take control (laughs)
3: We won't make that mistake
2: (laughs) Remind us all Leeson What was the competition and what was the question That our listeners had to answer
0: The competition was to win a copy of John and Carolee Barrowman's book The Hollow Earth And the questions were of course The immortal Captain Jack was later revealed to be A. The face of Joe B. The face of Bo Or C. The facelift of Bo And the answer was of course B. The face of Bo
3: Indeed, and congratulations <laughs> to everybody who sent in answers. I have to admit, I thought there was going to be a D, River Song. Because oh. <laughs> that, uh, ha, ha. Mm. we'll have to see. But for the time being, we'll go with the correct answer, which was B. And let's say, uh, Tom, can you provide some sound effects, please, for a random number generator? Trev, whilst Tom's doing that, if you can pick a number between 1 and 64 this time. Yeah, look, look so Messy Okay, I've reached into the uh,
2: competition entry mailbag and come out with entry number eight. Entry
3: number eight. That's, let's have a look, Steve Collin from Minneapolis in the United States. Congratulations. He correctly identifies Captain Jack Harkness as the face of Oh, so congratulations, Steve. Leeson will be posting your, um, how did you describe it? Was it dog eared and coffee stains uh, prize over the next coming week or so?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's it's careworn.
3: Careworn. It's It's really in quite good condition, actually, isn't it, Leeson? Oh, it's it's spot on. Absolutely. Wonderful. It comes with
0: with three comestibles.
3: And we'll be launching another competition here on the Doctor Who podcast very soon just to hear Tom's random number generator sound effects again. The next two weeks are filled with uh,
2: bile and
3: negativity
2: and just general downness on Doctor Who because we're going to be discussing (laughs) uh, our least favourite episodes of Doctor Who. Um, It's been split up between uh, James and Michelle who are going to be looking at uh, Hartnell through to Davison and then myself and Tom who will be looking at uh, Colin Baker through to... uh, Mr Matt Smith, so we'll be looking at the more seedier, less popular side Mm. of Doctor Who and seeing what our um, least favourite episodes
0: are. A strange activity because it's like searching around on your own body for dry patches of skin, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that's why you're not taking part in this one, (laughs) Jason. (laughs) Despite all the negativity, I am absolutely confident that happiness will prevail. That's (laughs) it for this week. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at
0: thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter,
3: Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening.
0: Take care. And what were the questions... <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh, Do you remember yes, what they are?
3: Yes. I can tell you what they are if you need them. yes
0: the, the eternal Captain Jack was later revealed to be a the face of bow, b the face of Joe, or C, the facelift of bow, and the answer was of course
3: right you you've got those in the wrong order, no but it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> Sorry, he knows the order b b well, because everyone sent one in saying b. Um, it was it was the face of Bo. Oh, right. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure what your first two choices or your first and third were, but you, be, you better do that again. <laughs> so it's so it's, it's
0: Joe Bo facelift, right?
3: So long as Bo's in the middle, it can be whatever the hell you like. Now.
0: This was, this was <laughs> <laughs> stick the Bo in the middle. <clears throat>